Good morning. Today's reading is on page 953 of the Church Bibles, for those of you who still use the old-fashioned things. And we're reading Colossians 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of God, he lo of, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hi there, I'm Andreas, and as of the 1st of January, I'm officially employed as a student minister here at KPC. Uh, it's great to be here with you. Um, and as Dave said, over the next four weeks, Tom and I will be taking you through the book of Colossians. Uh, and it's such a rich uh, letter that it's, I'm really excited that we get to spend these four weeks slowing down and digging into the detail of the first two chapters. And we'll come back to chapters three and four later in the year. But let me pray for us as we begin. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, may we understand more of who Jesus is and what he's done for us so that we can honour him and live more like him in response. In his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of helping someone when you don't know how your contribution fits into the whole? We hosted a bunch of things over Christmas. My wife, Monique, she is great at hosting. Uh, she knows what, how everything fits together. She's got the vision for what it should look like. Set up the tables here, put the glasses for drinks here, make the nibbles at this time. Now, when Monique's in host mode and I'm just helping her without actually knowing the vision, it can feel like a slow process. She can tell me to do something and I go away and do that. That's easy. But then I need to come back to her and get the next step and do that and get the next step and do that. It gets done, but it's slow. But if I know Monique's vision, suddenly everything changes. 
I don't need to be told each step because I can figure out the details because I know the vision that we're trying to implement. For example, if I know that Monique wants to make it easier for people to have multiple small conversations, I can go and set up the room to facilitate that. And because I understand the vision, I can appreciate even more how the event runs well because I know all the details that made that up. Here in the book of Colossians, Paul has been captured by a gospel-shaped vision. And I use that word captured deliberately. Paul doesn't just know this vision, it's captured him. It's, he's keen, he's motivated. This has changed the way that he hopes, the way he prays, and the way he lives under Jesus' lordship. And this gospel-shaped vision hasn't just changed Paul, it's changing the Colossians too. And as we see this vision through the letter of Colossians, my prayer is that we'll be captured more and more by this vision too, so that the same gospel transforms and motivates us. In today's short start to Colossians, we see Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And this is a prayer that's shaped by God's big gospel vision that's encompassing all of reality and that little town of Colossae too. Let's start with the context of this letter. Verses 1 and 2 help orient us. We see this is a letter from Paul and Timothy, and it's for God's holy people in the town of Colossae. Colossae uh, was in what's now Turkey. Uh, and in this area, Ephesus is the big major town, and Colossae is like a small country town. So I think Launceston compared to Brisbane. And the church in Colossae is probably a small church, mainly Gentiles. They're near a trade route, so it seems like there's lots of people and different ideas in this city. And we also learn that it's a church that wasn't planted by Paul. If you go to verse 7, Paul says that they learned the gospel from Epaphras. Most likely what's happened is that Paul planted the church in Ephesus, the major centre, and Epaphras heard the gospel in Ephesus, and then he's brought the gospel back to his hometown of Little Colossae and planted a church there. And if you flick forward to chapter 4, we can get a few more clues to this letter's situation. In verse 3 of chapter 4, Paul tells us that he's in chains for being a Christian. Uh, so this is one of the letters that's written during Paul's imprisonment uh, towards the end of his life. Proclaiming the gospel has cost Paul, but he's convinced that the gospel is worth that cost. And if you look down to verses 12 and 13 in chapter 4, we see that Epaphras is currently with Paul, visiting Paul while he's in prison. Epaphras is how Paul knows what's going on in this church in Colossae, even though he's never met most of them. So this is a letter from Paul to a church he hasn't visited, but he has heard about. And if we come back to chapter 1, uh, looking at our passage, there's two main paragraphs, verses 3 to 8 and verses 9 to 14. And both paragraphs spring out of what's been heard. In the first paragraph, if you look at verse 6, uh, it talks about since the day you heard it. That is, since the day the Colossians heard the gospel from Epaphras. This first paragraph is all about what's happened since the day the Colossians heard and truly understood the gospel of Jesus. 
They might be a little country church, but through the gospel, they're part of something so much bigger. Verse 6 also tells us that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. It's bearing fruit and growing in the, among the Colossians and in the whole world. And note how that's worded. It's not the Colossians who are bearing fruit and growing. It's not Paul's ministry that's bearing fruit and growing. It's the gospel itself. The gospel of Jesus is powerful good news. It's not just information. It's a message from God, which God uses to actually do things. We can see the power of the gospel in what the gospel does for us and in what the gospel does in us. Come down with me to verse 12, where Paul articulates what the gospel does for us. Through the gospel, God the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people. Through faith, we get united to God's Son, Jesus, and because we're united to him, we get to share in the inheritance of the Son of God. We get to share in Jesus' victory, his eternal life, and his rule of the world. And verse 13 tells us that we get to share in this inheritance because of a kingdom transfer. We've been rescued from dark powers and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Jesus. And now that we're united with Jesus, we've been redeemed from slavery to sin, and we've been forgiven. Because of what Jesus has done for us in his death, we are totally right before God. Paul's reminding the Colossians here of what they've heard about in the gospel. And the only thing the Colossians did to receive all this is to repent and believe, to simply trust that God has done it for them. And this is all true for you too if you're responding to the same gospel they've heard. You're made right before God, placed under Jesus' lordship, and we get to share in Jesus' inheritance. This is really great news. So that's what the gospel's done for us. If we go back to the first paragraph, we'll see what the gospel's done in us. In verse 5, the Colossians have a hope, and this is the hope that they heard about in the gospel. This is the hope of sharing in Jesus' inheritance and of our glorious future with him, which we'll hear more about from Tom next week. And if we keep working backwards through this paragraph, at the start of verse 5, that hope has led to faith and love. The faith, verse 4, is in Christ Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. This faith is trust that Jesus has made us right with God. Trust that living under Jesus' lordship is better than living our own way. And this love, also verse 4, is for all God's people. Since God's people are all united to Jesus, they're all adopted to share his sonship, then all Christians are brothers and sisters in Christ. So we should love all of God's people because we're all part of the same big family. And Paul will give us a lot more details on that when we come to chapter 3. Putting this all together... This is how the gospel's at work in the Colossians. And if you've believed the gospel and you're living under Jesus' lordship, then this gospel-shaped hope, faith, and love are yours too. The gospel's at work in us, and it works through articulating what God has done for us. We talk plenty about faith and love at church, but as I've been mulling over this passage, 
I've kept being convinced that I need to be reminded of this gospel-shaped hope. I have lots of hopes. I hope that Monique's first year of teaching isn't too stressful. I hope that I can raise enough financial support to work with AFES when I, after I graduate. I hope that in the next few years, Monique and I will be able to buy a house and start having kids. I hope we'll be able to enjoy 60 plus years of marriage. These are all good hopes for this life. There's nothing wrong with them. But if those things are all that I'm hoping for, then the gospel hasn't really shaped me. And the hopes I've listed, they're not secure. There's plenty of things that could go wrong to foil those hopes. But what is secure is my hope in the gospel. My hope that one day my Lord Jesus will return and make all things new. That I'll get to enjoy an internal inheritance with him and with all believers. That's a greater and more secure hope because it rests on what God has done and will do. And this in turn prompts more gospel-shaped hopes in my life. The hope that God will work through our ministry here at KBC to grow people in living under Jesus' lordship. The hope that God will work through the gospel to bring more people to trust in Jesus for themselves, including my family and friends. These hopes don't replace my other hopes, but they are the hopes that I should hold most dear because they're the hopes that are in line with God's will. So they're the hopes that I know that God will bring about in his good ways. So I need to keep being reminded of how the gospel I've heard shapes my hopes so I don't forget these hopes. Maybe you needed to be reminded of this too. So that's how the gospel has shaped the Colossians' hopes. For our second point, what's the impact on Paul from what he's heard? How has the gospel shaped his prayers? In verse 3, Paul says that he and Timothy are always thanking God when they pray for the Colossians because they've heard about their gospel-shaped faith, love, and hope. What a great thing to be thanking God for, thanking him for what he's done in other Christians through the gospel. But even more so, in verse 9, since the day Paul and Timothy heard about the Colossians, they've not stopped praying for the Colossians. Paul and Timothy have not stopped asking God to fill the Colossians with the knowledge of his will. Paul knows that they need the Spirit's help to know the Father's will. We need the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And the purpose of Paul's prayer is that knowing God's will, understanding God's gospel-shaped vision, then the Colossians and us can live lives worthy of the Lord Jesus. Now, knowing God's will here is not a secret, specific will-for-my-life thing. Paul is not praying that the Holy Spirit will reveal to each of the Colossians specific aspects of God's plan for them personally. It's not step-by-step guidance. Instead, it's grasping the big picture of God's will, grasping his gospel-shaped vision for what God's doing with creation and redemption through and for Jesus. Like my hosting example at the start, it's not going back and forth to be told each step of the process without understanding how it all fits together. Instead, it's grasping the overall vision so we can use our spirit-given wisdom and understanding to figure out the details of how to contribute to that vision. God's gospel-shaped vision is massive, friends. 
It's so much bigger and better than anything else we could live for. And we'll hear so much more about that when we get to the next part of Colossians. But let's pause here for a moment and ponder Paul's prayer life. Paul has never met these Christians in Colossae, yet from the day he heard about them, he's been praying for them. He's been thanking God for saving and growing them through the gospel, and he's been asking that God fill them with the knowledge of his will. And Paul didn't just pray this once, he's always praying this. When we read Paul's letters, it's good to think about whether his prayers can be models for our prayers too. We are not apostles like Paul, we don't need to pray for every church we've ever heard of, but we should be praying for other believers, especially those in our church family here at KPC. I think there are three encouragements for us in Paul's example prayer here. First, there's the encouragement to pray regularly for other believers. Paul's always thanking God, continually asking God for the Colossians. This is not praying every minute of every day, but it's great to be praying regularly for people. Not just praying for them when you hear about a problem or need, but regularly. One thing I found which helps me in praying regularly is to make a list of all the people and ministries I want to pray for, divided by days of the week. So Monday I'm praying for missionaries, Tuesday I'm praying for my QTC classmates, Friday I'm praying for my growth group, and so on. That might work for you too. The second encouragement is to keep thanking God for saving people through the gospel. People understanding the gospel and living under Jesus' lordship is not just something to thank God for when it first happens, it's something to keep thanking God for. Perhaps as we pray for others here at church, you might want to thank God for what he's done through the gospel in their lives. And third, Paul's prayers here are an encouragement for us to be asking God that we and others will be filled with the knowledge of his will, so that we and they can live lives worthy of the Lord Jesus. That is, we're encouraged to keep praying that people grow in knowing God and grow in their character in living for God. Paul gives us four specific ways that this worthy gospel-shaped living looks like, and you might like to include those ways in your prayers for people too. So we've thought about gospel-shaped hope, we've thought about gospel-shaped prayer, our final point is to think about gospel-shaped living. The purpose of Paul's asking for the Colossians to know God's will is so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus, a life which pleases him in every way. As we grasp more and more how everything revolves around Jesus, as we understand more about how he is supreme over all, as we appreciate more and more that in Jesus' kingdom we're not just under his authority, but we're united to him personally, as we grasp this gospel-shaped vision, we want to live and will live more and more like Jesus. That's how we live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus, by living like him in character. As Paul puts this in Romans 8, God predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God the Father thinks that his son is so amazing, he's created us humans to be little Jesuses resembling our big brother Jesus in character. 
And throughout the letter of Colossians, Paul's going to go a lot more into who Jesus is and how we can live like him. But here in his prayer, Paul names four specific ways that we can live a gospel-shaped life worthy of Jesus. So let's step through them. We'll start with the second half of verse 10. The first two ways to live a gospel-shaped life are bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. In the first paragraph, it was the gospel bearing fruit and growing. Here, it's the Colossians who'll be bearing fruit and growing. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in knowing God. A healthy plant will keep bearing fruit and growing. My parents gave me a chili bush for Christmas a couple of years ago, and I planted in the veggie patch, and the label said that it would start fruiting in 12 weeks. It did not get that memo, and for the first 12 months, it was this slow-growing bush. But once it started fruiting, it does not stop. There are regularly 50 to 100 chilies on this bush. Our freezer is full of Ziploc bags of chilies. We even made chili jam for night church once. That chili bush will not stop bearing fruit and growing. In spring, I pruned it so far back, Monique thought it would die. But sure enough, a couple days later, there's green leaves showing and it's already starting to fill with chilies again. A healthy plant will keep bearing fruit and growing. Paul describes our gospel-shaped living here like my chili plant. We are naturally going to be bearing fruit. Not physical fruit, but good works of serving and loving others. These works contribute nothing to God saving us, but they're the natural result of being saved by and united to Jesus. Being a Christian is not just about what we believe or where we go on a Sunday morning. Being a Christian shows in how we step out and serve others, how we look out for and encourage each other's kids, how we make time to help others in need, how we bear with people who are difficult to love. When we are captured by God's gospel-shaped vision of reality, that will naturally fruit into good works in our lives. We're also going to keep growing in knowing God. What you need to know to understand the gospel is very little, but the God of the gospel is an infinite God. There's always more to know about him, and we can always know God more in relationship with him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know God through spending time listening to him in his word, the Bible, and in building that relationship in prayer. I've only been married for 18 months, but I keep growing and knowing my wife as we spend more time together. Some of you here have been married 40, 50, 60 years, and I bet that you're still growing to know your spouse more than you did last year. How much more can we keep growing in knowing God for all of eternity especially as he fills us with the knowledge of his will. The third way to live a gospel-shaped life in verse 11 is enduring. When we're captured by God's gospel-shaped vision and strengthened by his glorious might, we have great endurance and patience. Now, this one might seem a bit surprising, but the Christian life here on earth is one of endurance and patience. Knowing the gospel-shaped hope stored for us in heaven, we patiently wait for Jesus to return. Living in a world of sin and suffering, we endure as we wait for Jesus to finally judge evil, end sin and death, and make all things new. 
grasping that everything revolves around Jesus, not around me, we can have endurance and patience when life doesn't go the way we want it. We can trust that God's still in control, that he's working all things for good for his purpose of conforming us to be like Jesus. We can trust this even when we can't understand how on earth God's working this for good. And the New Testament keeps telling us to expect suffering and persecution for being a Christian. There are going to be people opposed to the gospel. We need God's strength to patiently endure that. Paul's going to talk more about his own suffering for the gospel soon. And this doesn't mean that he or we should enjoy suffering, but strengthened by God, we can rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces gospel-shaped hope, and that gospel-shaped hope will not disappoint us. Finally, in verse 12, living worthy of the Lord Jesus will look like giving joyful thanks to the Father for all that he's done for us and in us through the gospel. We've seen how this shows up in Paul's life as he's praying for the Colossians, and it should characterize our lives too. So today we've seen that knowing the Father's will captures us for a gospel-shaped vision of hope, prayer, and life under Jesus' lordship. Like Paul, let's keep praying that God fills us with the knowledge of his will so that our hope, prayer, and life look more and more like Paul's described. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us through the gospel. Thank you for how Jesus' victory means we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into his kingdom, and that united to Jesus, we have redemption and forgiveness. Please keep filling us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Keep capturing us more and more with your gospel-shaped vision. Do this so that we may live lives worthy of the Lord Jesus, pleasing to you and him in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.